Hey, Mercy Hill, this is Caleb Lewis with Mercy Hill's Deeper Dive podcast, and today I'm here with Pastor Nate, and we have no idea who you are, so introduce yourself to us. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here, Caleb, uh, in your garage while it's raining outside, and uh, excited about the potential with this podcast, and looking forward to taking a, a deeper dive into Genesis. So what are we looking at today? Well, last time we talked about how the Bible was put together, a little bit about the process of inspiration, and how that should influence the way in which we read our Bibles. And part of what we discovered is that we should expect the cultural elements of ancient Israel and the ancient Near East in the Bible, since it is a book that is communicating to people in that time and place. This time, we're going to try and take a look at some of those cultural elements that are going to show up in the beginning of Genesis and try to get a feel for some of the the weight and the, um, the symbolism that is attached to the things that we do see in Genesis 1 from the perspective of an ancient Near Eastern person. We're going to try and pin down what uncreation looks like, what pre-creation looks like, um, what do waters mean to an ancient person. We're going to take a look at symbols of darkness and uncreated land and wilderness and try to give a, um, I, I guess I won't say a definition because these are, are symbols. we got to realize that these can be used creatively. Um, but we want to understand what kind of connotations, what kind of weight do they carry when they appear in the narrative of Genesis. So what you're saying is that last week was pretty much an introduction on how to read the Bible and how to understand uh, the, the scriptures in general. And then today we're going to start really diving into some of the presuppositions or, or the, the mindset of uh, the ancient people, that, how they would have been understanding the world in general, uh, which will help us better understand how to read Genesis. Is that right? Right, yeah. So, as modern peoples, we think of the beginning of the world as the creation of the atom, as um, the creation of space. But the ancient person didn't think that way. They had no concept of pure nothingness, of um, dust in a vacuum, of atoms and particles and neutrons and um, just all those things that I'm saying very poorly because I'm not a scientist. Um, <laughs> so, they're not concerned with, like, the, the material universe, Right, right. Like we are, at least. Yeah, they, they do pay attention to the materials in the universe, but they are more concerned of why are they there and who put them there for what purpose. So so not so much like we are so consumed with, like, how did it all come together? But that's really not even on their radar, is what you're saying. Yeah, the ancient person is focused more on the why we are here. They're focused on what is the function of the things in creation and the, the societies that come out of creation, not the um, material stuff that those things are made out of. Now, the ancient person, they actually thought of the pre-creation state as endless waters. When, when they thought of what is uncreation, what is nothing, um, when we think of nothing, we're thinking again of the empty vacuum of space. They're thinking of endless dark waters. And I have um, a couple of texts pulled up I could read as an example just to show. Yeah, let's here. do it. Okay. Dive deep. <laughs> Into the deep. Okay. So, this first one is from a coffin text. Uh, I believe it's a coffin text. Uh, let's see, 714. And it says... Wait a second. 
What's a yes. coffin text? Oh, good point. So, coffin texts are just texts and spells that were inscribed on coffins by the ancient Egyptians. Coffin text 714 um, says, I am the one who began therein in the waters. See, the flood is subtracted from me. See, I am the remainder. And this is the first Egyptian deity talking about his, um, they have the idea of their deity self-generating, um, just coming out of nothing, which for them, again, you can see their, their first deity is coming out of the waters. Um, another one here is, so there's um, Enuma Elish, the Babylonian creation story that talks about that. We're, we're, everybody knows that one. We're going to go on to Marduk. <laughs> Every, everybody, I mean, who doesn't know that? <laughs> another text, um, Marduk, the creator of the world. And um, Marduk is a Babylonian deity. And so this is what they say about how their god Marduk created the world. No holy house, no house for the gods had been built in a pure place. No reed had come forth, no tree had been created, no brick had been laid, no brick mold had been created, no house had been built, no city had been created. Uruk had not been built, Ikur had not been created, those are a couple of cities. The depths had not been built, Iena had not been created, no holy house, no house for the gods, no dwelling for them had been created. All the world was sea. The spring in the midst of the sea was only a channel, then Iridu was built. So here, this text is focused on there's there's nothing um, functional working. There's no place for the gods to dwell. Everything was just endless ocean, endless sea. So there's this pattern in the in the ancient mind of like pre-creation is not just an empty void, but a like a bottomless, endless sea that's just chaotic. Is that kind of what you're explaining here? Yeah, yeah. It's an endless ocean. And darkness is another element that carries those same foreboding connotations. And these are um, symbols throughout the ancient Near East and in the Bible that are, are packed with meaning. So what kind of symbols do they rep- are you talking about? What, what, do you, what do they represent? So throughout the ancient Near East there are other myths and creation stories where the most high or you know the, the quote-unquote good god of the story, the hero, has to face off against a sea deity, um, against some god that is associated with the sea, and in some cases, um, its name is the sea. So in some of these stories, and some of these mythologies, the sea and the darkness associated with it is seen as an enemy. So you're saying that the, the vast uh, ocean, or this chaotic sea uh, in, in the Bible and in other ancient documents represents something that's evil. It's not neutral, but it's there, there's something... Sort of. The, so the Bible uses it a little differently, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we get into Genesis. Um, but often there are these enemy deities in the ancient Near East. Um, it's, it's something dark, malevolent, or something against the, the creator god. Um, now, the one who is creating that's that's something good they're taking this um dark thing and making it something functional and something good something that uh allows humans to live now if the sea is against that deity they they are uh, uh, an evil agent an uncreation agent they're um someone who is in a sense anti-good creation so like the leviathan would that be an example of a, yes. a sea creature that uh is a monster yeah, exactly. Um, and we'll, we'll look at Leviathan, too, as we get into Genesis 1. 
so is there a correlation between the the chaos of the sea and uh, like the wilderness uh, on land? Is there are, are they similar in some way? Yeah. So in some of these ancient Near Eastern stories, the sea is portrayed as an enemy to the creator, and that's where the Bible is a little different. Actually, the sea is it's just there and it's inert. It's not a good thing, but it's not an enemy. It's it's not something that is going to hinder Yahweh's sovereignty or creative process. Now, in Genesis 1, we'll see that there is the land already there, unformed, and it is, in the ESV, formless and void. So there is a link between the land and the darkness and the sea. The unformed land, which we're going to say is the wilderness, and the sea and the darkness all carry these very similar connotations of being places that are uncreated and don't support life and are bad. They are homes to spirits that, or people or things that are against Yahweh. Now, we will see in some places in Scripture, the sea is personified and portrayed as an actual enemy um, to Yahweh. It's uh, compared to actual enemies. We're going to see in Genesis 1, it is, it's not a living, active enemy of Yahweh. But for, for now, the takeaway is uh, the darkness and the sea are very bad places in the ancient Near Eastern's mindset, um, ancient Near Easterner's mindset. Um, in the biblical mindset, these are bad places, but they're not enemies of Yahweh. In other ancient Near Eastern texts, the are, these are seen as enemies, but that is where um, the Bible and some of these other stories are different. So, so in the Bible, they're not necessarily evil places, but they're places of dysfunction or, or, yeah, we're, or chaos. We're, yeah, we're going to see that these places, um, these are places where things that are against Yahweh are at home. Okay, they, they can go there, and it's it's habitable for them, and it's. Um, it's also places where humans can't live. His images, his agents that he has commissioned to expand his good creation, we can't live in those places. We can't thrive in darkness, and we drown in the sea. Okay. Um, so something else that is significant about the image of the sea, uh, we should probably talk a little bit about the shape of the world. Um, that's a significant part of how the ancient Near Easterner assumed um, something that they had in their mind when they thought of creation. So we've talked about this, I think, a couple times now on Sunday mornings. The ancient Near Easterner, and try to bear with me, I know this is audio, um, they saw the world as essentially a um, flat earth sitting inside of a bubble in that endless sea. So if you go down into the sea, down below it, you're in the underworld. So you're, you're, you're in a bubble, you're floating on a flat piece of land that's... So, like, there, and there's water below you, and there's water outside the bubble, right? Yes, all, all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, God sets basically on top of the bubble, um, so you don't want to go down below. That's the endless abyss. It's further from God. It's it's under. Um, it's it's the underworld. Which you know anybody who knows anything about, um, if you've watched you know Disney's Hercules, you've you know about the underworld. It's not a good place. That's where God's enemies reside. Is there anything that prevents us from sinking? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you'll you'll read in um, Job, for instance, about the pillars of the earth. In uh, in Jonah two, he goes down and he sees the the bars of the earth. They just um, 
they imagine these giant pillars that hold us up out of the waters. So we're basically kind of a floating, in their minds, we're a floating piece of land held up by these pillars surrounded by chaotic water all around us. uh, And and God's sitting on top of the bubble above us. Right. Kind of a crazy Yeah, and, and this may seem like it's picture. way way out there, but this has actually been going to become very integral to the biblical story, um, to understanding the world that that Yahweh has created and that his people live in. Um, a lot of imagery is going to be pulled from the shape of the world. Okay, so let me try to summarize where we've been already. There's been a, <laughs> a lot already to this point. So we've talked about how the pre-creation world in their minds back then was one that was just an endless sea and that the the earth actually floated on this sea and there, there's pillars kind of holding it up and then there's a, there's a bubble all around us with waters outside the bubble and God uh, enthroned on top of the bubble. And, and, and so we've talked about um, also just that in, in their minds, they weren't so much focused on the, how all this came to be, but more like, why are we here? And so how did, give me some examples of like how that plays out in the biblical narrative. Yeah. So let's move on and talk about um, how the ancient person thought about their creation. Um, how they thought about the why are we here, not the how did we get here and what are we made of. Um, real quick, though, we, we have covered a lot of ground, and so I do just want to point out that we're going to touch on some of the highlights of this again. Um, we've been jumping all over the place. This stuff is going to come back up. It's, uh, you know, what, what you just summarized is what we need to hold on to for now and remember as we begin to approach the biblical narrative begin to approach Genesis 1. So, um, back to the why are we here. Now, there's a, a fancy word for this that we'll use, I guess, because it's it's helpful. Um, is a, a scholar named John Walton that has, I guess, coined this phrase. And the phrase is functional ontology. Functional ontology. That, that's like a $25 word, man. Okay, what's that mean? <laughs> okay. Ontology is the study of our being. Um, that, that is asking the question of why are we here? Um, who are we? Now, by adding that word functional, we're saying that our being, the reason for our being is related to our function, to what not um, what we are materially, but what we have been created by God to do and to be. So what you're saying is in the ancient mind, they viewed themselves not so much uh, – they're not thinking about their anatomy or that they're just like a organized um, group of cells and blood vessels and bones and skin. They, they didn't look at themselves like that. They more looked at themselves as, okay, this is why I'm here. This is the, the purpose. Uh, I am – what God has purposed me for. That's what they're focused on, right? Yeah, exactly. And and this extends to not just humans or societies, even though we've been talking about um, this in terms of humans uh, up until now, uh, but it extends out into broader creation. So 
whenever someone makes anything, they start with raw materials and you shape those raw materials into something to give it a purpose. And that is exactly how the um, the Bible views creation. He comes to the seas and we'll see that there is um, yeah, just the dark sea and this unformed mass of land. God takes this thing that is in a bad state and puts it into a state of this is good. This is very good. So you actually used in a sermon the example of, uh, of a house. And so just to reiterate that, um, to, to help help everyone wrap their minds around this, because this is definitely, a, a, I say it's a foreign concept, but um, we actually think this way all the time. We just don't really, um, we haven't put our finger on it all that much probably. So again, say you want to build a house and you're going to build a mud brick house. You go out to the wilderness. This is uncreated space. So you, you gather up your mud. Um, essentially, they, they would look at this and say, as far as creation is concerned, that this mud, this wilderness, is, is nothing. It is pre-creation. So you take it, and you form it into your bricks. You form it into your house. Now that it has been shaped for a purpose, and you have deemed it to have a purpose, it is now something. It has now been brought from the pre-creation state to become something functional within the created world. So in their mind, something is not truly created until it is it has some kind of function. It, it, it's being used in its intended way. Right. It is taken from the raw mass of material, of uncreated material. It is separated from that, and then it is named or given some kind of purpose or destiny. And then at that point, it is something that has been taken from uncreation to creation. Okay, so... This is a much different worldview than we we have. How did we come to the point where we like? How do we know that the ancient world thought this way so differently than than we do now? Yeah, so there are actually a lot of texts in the ancient Near East that um, display that they think about the world in this way. And I'll I'll read you one just for exa- example. Um, so this is the beginning of Enuma Elish, which uh, is the Babylonian creation story. So just a little bit of background to this. Um, it's going to mention a deity named Apsu and then Tiamat. These were two deities that represented the waters. Apsu um, was a deity of fresh water, and Tiamat was the deity of salt water. So in the beginning, all you have are these um, two these two waters mingling together, and that'll help make sense of some of our passage. When on high no name had been given to heaven, nor below was the netherworld called by name, primeval Apsu was their progenitor, and Matrix Tiamat was she who bore them all. They were mingling their waters together when no gods had been brought forth, nor called by names, none destinies ordained, then were the gods formed within these two. So, in this, you can see these two water deities. There's um, two waters that are mingling together, and the other deities are going to be separated out from them, from the waters, and then given destinies names. Now, this is just one example. There yeah, are, and at the beginning of it, too, it talked about how nothing had been, things haven't been named yet. So that, yeah. that seems to be something that's significant as God creates things, naming the things that he's ordering uh, it, it seems to be significant too. Yeah, the the name in creation stories especially uh, is tied to the destiny of the thing that is made. 
We'll talk about this more when we get there, but Genesis 1 is actually a really good example of this way of thinking. Yeah, I totally agree. And what I've found is uh, when you start to understand the, the mindset of the, the ancient Near East, verses 1 and 2, especially uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, start to make a whole lot more sense. And so um, what, we're going to end this podcast with just a few resources. If, if you are interested in, in taking an even deeper dive than what we've done today, uh, I would encourage you to check these resources out. Yeah, so John Walton is a really good scholar to read on this topic. Um, a more easy-to-understand book, he has uh, what's it, the Lost World series. Yeah, the Lost World series. The Lost World of Genesis 1 is yeah. where I would go first. Yeah, and if you want to take an even deeper dive, there is another book he made um, for a more academic audience called uh, Genesis 1 as Ancient Cosmology. Those are a couple of good resources that will get you a, a deep understanding of what we're talking about and um, just talk a little more about how and why we want to read um, the Bible in light of the ancient Near East and Israel's neighbors. Good deal, Caleb. Thank you so much. And so next week we're going to start really actually diving into the text itself. We're going to get out of the, 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 world, the world of the, the ancient Near East and, and really start picking apart the, the the words of the uh, of the text itself and so thank you for sticking with us in this uh, uh, podcast and, and uh, looking forward to next time.